Welcome to Inspiring Wholeness, presented by Advent Health, in partnership with the Orlando Business Journal, featuring people who make Central Florida a better place to work, live, and play. In this episode, we'll focus on exercise and why it's not a one-size-fits-all prescription for health. Joining us, Dr. Stephen Smith, Senior Vice President and Chief Scientific Officer at Advent Health, and Dr. Brett Goodpaster, Senior Director at TRI, the Translational Research Institute. Thanks to both of you for joining us. An interesting topic here because it impacts all of us. Dr. Smith, Advent Health's research efforts are often described as one of Orlando's best kept secrets. Could you maybe give us an overview of the research that's going on here and what the potential impacts are of the research? Most certainly. Orlando is relatively new when it comes to the academic environment, particularly biomedical and medical sciences. And at Advent Health, we have over a dozen different research departments here in Central Florida, ranging all the way from neonatal intensive care research to aging, as you'll hear about in a little bit from Dr. Goodpaster, cancer, cardiovascular disease, brain health, several different areas, clusters of physicians and other scientists who work on really the biggest problems that we have in our healthcare system today. We also do research within our graduate medical education. We have undergraduate, in other words, medical students who rotate with us, nurses who rotate through and do research with our whole person healthcare team. In all, we have about 350 investigators and almost 350 employees that work in our research institute. And every day they're out there asking hard questions and using science, using clinical trials, using what we call translational research or bedside to bench and back research to answer again those hard questions that we have every day in our healthcare system. Now we mentioned TRI off the top, the Translational Research Institute. Why is this so unique to a hospital system? Well, translational research, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, this bedside to bench and back is a unique kind of research. So we think about basic research where we study cells and mice and other animals and try to understand really the fundamentals of the gears and switches, for example, in how a cell works. And then on the other side, we have clinical research. This is what most people think of that hospitals do, and that is clinical trials. How does a certain diagnostic perform? Does a new medicine or device help us improve someone's health? And that's called clinical research. And then in between, we have this translational research, which is really a blending of those two edges. So for example, we may want to understand in patients with diabetes, how and why the pancreas stops producing insulin. Turns out a lot of these studies cannot be done in mice or cells, but you need a person, a live, warm volunteer who comes to our research center called the Translational Research Institute where we can interrogate, where we can learn, where we can have people participate all the way down to the cell and molecular and genetic level to understand how the body's broken and how we can fix it with new and novel therapies. So translational research is unique in a hospital system, which most of whom do only the clinical research and occasionally will do basic research, but this translational area is unique in hospital systems. 
And from what I understand, these research findings often are used to develop a more precision-focused medical plan for treating diseases in individuals. Could you share how your research is accomplishing that? There are literally dozens of papers that we publish every year that explore the variation between people. Everyone's a little bit different and sometimes a lot different in terms of how their body develops disease and how they respond to different therapies. That field is known as precision medicine, and I can say the TRI has done great work over the last decade to really break new ground and understand these differences between individuals. For example, when we think about individuals who are aging, we know some can age very well that they maintain their uh, capacity, their functional capacity, uh, their brain health is good, and then there are others who appear to have an accelerated aging. Now, what does that do to? That's what really we're trying to work on and discover these differences between each other. One of the really novel findings is that we know that much of our metabolism is programmed into our cells. And so at the TRI, Dr. Goodpaster and other investigators can actually take little biopsies from your muscle or adipose tissue and grow them in the Petri dish and study the metabolism there. And it's amazing how much of our metabolism is really determined at that cellular level. The other thing we found is that the ability to make certain kinds of novel and new hormones to control metabolism is quite different between individuals. So these kinds of translational questions you can't answer in a mouse and you can't answer at the population level. And that's really where this translational discovery is important in the in-between. And that informs what therapies we use for a particular patient, and that's called precision or personalized medicine. Dr. Goodpaster, we've heard the saying that sitting is the new smoking, and many of us, including your host here, are guilty of probably sitting too much. What's the impact of a sedentary lifestyle? Yeah, well, it's sort of the antithesis of uh, physical activity, of course, and that, you know, we've known for a long time that physical activity is good for health, good for many systems, uh, biological systems, and sedentary activity and inactivity in many ways is the opposite of that. So I think we can get into some interesting discussion and debate about the relative influence of sedentary behavior uh, versus physical activity. They're actually quite different, but oftentimes the inverse of one another as well. That's interesting. I noticed that Advent Health is one of just 10 clinical sites nationwide that's partnering with the National Institute of Health, the NIH, on their Motor Pack program. That stands for Molecular Transducers of Physical Activity Consortium. <laughs> it's a mouthful, and that's why it's been shortened to Motor Pack. To sum it up, this studies how exercise improves health and prevents disease. What's the ultimate goal of this study? And what all does it involve? Well, there are two major goals of Motor Pack. One is on the discovery angle, which is really to discover novel molecules that are involved in promoting the health benefits of exercise. We've known for literally hundreds, if not thousands of years, that physical activity is good for health. But on a molecular, cellular level, we don't actually know that much about why exercise is promoting these health benefits. So one of the major goals of Motor Pack is to discover 
new molecules that are impacted by exercise. And that is coincident with emerging new technologies, the omics technologies to study cells in various platforms to understand the gene expression, how proteins are impacted, how metabolites are impacted by exercise. So really this type of study couldn't have been done even a decade ago because these uh, newer technologies to sequence DNA, sequence genes, sequence proteins, et cetera, simply were not available a decade or two ago. So this is coincident again with the motor pack study. And I would say the other key objective of motor pack is as Dr. Smith alluded to earlier, which is really understand the variation in exercise response. We know that everybody doesn't respond the same to exercise and people might respond to one type of exercise better than the other. So one of the aspects of motor pack is to study two different very different types of exercise, aerobic exercise versus resistance or weight training exercise. So we're gonna try to understand why some people may respond better to one type of exercise or the other. Is there a difference in how older people versus younger people respond to exercise or different races or ethnicities and how they respond or don't respond as well to exercise? And getting back to the precision medicine point, this will help us identify targeted exercise interventions, either with defining whether it takes more or less exercise or the type of exercise that's better uh, for one person or another. So those are the really the two main objectives to discover new molecules and really to understand on a molecular biochemical level what really determines why people respond differently to exercise. Yeah, you touched on this and that's my next question is why is it so important to understand what's happening during exercise on a molecular level and do the results typically vary depending on say the subject's overall health or physical condition yeah two really important questions there one is one of the key aspects of motor pack is studying individuals before and after one exercise session so not just after several weeks of exercise training so to speak but a lot is going on during or after one exercise session. And it's really a stimulus to the body to, to stimulate molecules that may be released by muscle or adipose tissue or other organs that end up floating around in the circulation that then you can measure. So it's really unclear, for example, why exercise is having an impact on the pancreas for diabetes risk or uh, why exercise is related to Alzheimer's disease risk. And it could very well be that uh, during exercise, we'll pick up molecules that are released from muscle or adipose tissue that may be talking to brain or other organs. And we'll get some important clues about how exercise promotes some of these other health benefits through these transducers. And that's why it's called the transducers of physical activity, because these molecules produced by exercise will give us some clues, I think, in that way. I'm curious how long the motor pack study goes for, and once it's completed, how do you anticipate the findings being used in healthcare treatment among the general population? Yeah, uh, two more great questions. So the pragmatic part of this is that motor pack was funded by what's called the common fund at the NIH, which is really a combination of the different institutes and centers across NIH 
funded out of the NIH director's office to really support these broad initiatives like motor pack. You know, exercise is not really just one disease or condition, but spans a variety of diseases and conditions. And that's why uh, motor pack is really spanning NIH in that regard. It's really important to understand why exercise may be affecting these different diseases and conditions. So it's a 10 year program, again, funded by NIH. We're now about halfway through the enrollment of the clinical part of MotorPack. In other words, we've enrolled not quite half the subjects for the exercise program in MotorPack. And so it'll go through the end of 2025. And for our audience, the most basic thing here is if you sit at a desk, try to get up and move every so often, right? And I think a lot of times people, they overdo this and think, you know, I've got to start this huge exercise regimen. And from what I've read, this is as simple as just getting out for a walk, even as little as 10 or 15 minutes. Is that right? Well, that's partially correct. I think a lot of it depends on what your starting point is. If you're very sedentary, of course, a little bit of physical activity is going to be better than none. And you'll see relatively greater benefits with doing a little bit of activity. I think there's still debate out there about how much physical activity really promotes these health benefits. Uh, some would argue that, you know, 10 or 15 minutes per day. Others would say that for certain outcomes, you need more rigorous, intentional physical activity. And again, I think it depends on what you're measuring, whether it's fitness or functional capacity or diabetes risk over time and other factors. So it's very complicated in the sense that uh, exercise impacts a variety of systems and you really have to measure uh, the appropriate system uh, to really understand that question. Yeah, those are great points. Well, it's an interesting time really in our lives where we kind of knew because of family history, the questions that doctors would always ask us and, you know, there'd be a little bit of that unpacking of that mystery of what your family history is. And now at a molecular level to be able to, you know, dive into that. I mean, it really is an incredible time, isn't it? Well, I'm certainly enthusiastic. I think some of the technologies that Brett mentioned a few minutes ago are going to be pivotal in being able to define what's good for us and each of us individually. And that's where I'm very optimistic. The pace of discovery in science has never been greater. And biomedical science is certainly no exception to that rule. DNA sequencing, the ability to measure multiple metabolites, not just glucose and triglycerides or those sorts of things in the blood. These are all revolutionary technologies that will come to to really to the clinic and to the bedside and to our hospitals. And we're beginning to see that right now here in Central Florida at Advent Health. So I'm really very optimistic and excited about where we are. Yeah, Dr. Goodpastor, I mean, it comes down to the individual, right? I mean, even if or when we are able to dial this in, you got to get out there and do it. You know, you steal the slogan from Nike, just do it. As an individual, you have to get out there and be committed to this, right? Absolutely. And I think Dr. Smith, pointed out one important thing a few minutes ago, which is this concept of aging and how some people age better than others. And I think that this concept of aging and trajectory of aging is really ripe for this precision medicine concept. We know that different systems and different cells of the body age differently. Some are probably impacted more by 
aging than others. Some are likely mitigated by some interventions, whereas others may be sort of immutable to to aging. So I think you know aging is is really a, an outstanding platform moving forward for understanding and testing interventions for this precision medicine concept. Well, and the body is so resilient too, and I think a lot of people become dejected or frustrated where they have let themselves go. But for those of us who have been there and then come back from that, you know, it's amazing how our bodies are so resilient. And even a few simple changes in a very short order over a few months can make a world of difference, right? Absolutely. And I think the concept of resilience is a really important point relating to, you know, our overall health, but specifically aging. I think resilience is one of those key components of aging that really defines perhaps healthy versus unhealthy aging. Uh, some people are more resistant to stress. So this is part of the resilience. Recovering from an exercise bout. It's quite likely that resilience and recovery from exercise is a key reason why people come back to exercise or not. If they feel terrible about exercise, it's negative feedback. If they feel better about exercise, if they're resilient to that, if it's an adaptation that uh, they're getting something out of it positively, then they're likely to come back. So I think there's a lot of what we don't understand about the links between behavior and biology that will be important to better understand moving forward. We recently had the opportunity to host Francis Collins, the former director of the NIH, who was the sponsor of MotorPack, and I had a chance to chat with him about something Brett mentioned earlier, and that is this ability of physical activity to improve brain health, to protect the heart, to prevent diabetes, to influence cancer. And we know that's true for nutrition and healthy eating and social networks and so on and so forth. And it was great to hear from him that he saw this not really as a scientific endeavor. He saw it as a means to really find out how the body works, how it gets broken, and how we can use these lifestyle interventions like physical activity to improve health, not just for one disease, but for many diseases. And I think that was really exciting to talk to him and hear in his words, the genesis of the project. And I can say this, that this is going to pay off in a big way in terms of human health. Science takes time. It's not going to be done in just a few days, weeks, months, or even years. But like going to the moon, he calls this, I think, the moonshot for muscle and for physical activity. We'll get the benefits of the work that Dr. Goodpaster and others are doing over the next decades. And I'm really excited about what's going to lie ahead as we discover more and new things that we never even thought of before. Dr. Goodpaster, what inspires you to feel whole? Well, personally, I am an exerciser and feel it's important to exercise for health benefits and you know other reasons. People have different motivations for exercise and becoming fit, whether it's partial vanity and they want to look good, whether it's for health benefits, whether it's a, you know, a competitive aspect of wanting to compete in a running race or triathlon or some other endeavor. You know, all these motivations are important, but again, it depends on, you know, what your motivation is. For me, it's really a combination of all those things that makes me want to feel whole. And given a family history that I have of heart disease and my family, that was really a big factor for me to be motivated to feel whole. 
We appreciate you sharing that. And Dr. Smith, I know you enjoy playing golf. What inspires you to feel whole? You know, we are wonderfully different, each of us. And I agree with Brett, not just for physical activity, but when it comes to our health, we'll be motivated by many or one or two different things. And that may be different for each of us. And I appreciate you asking me, you know, kind of what is my why? Why do I feel like I can do a lot to improve my health? Again, mind, body, and spirit, not just the physical body, but also relationships and how we interact with each other, how we work together, how we connect with each other and listen carefully to each other. That's all important in being whole. When it comes to the you know physical activity component, I would say that like Brett, many of us have a family history that may predispose us, but not determine whether we're going to get a disease. Oftentimes we use genetics or family history to say, oh, I can't do anything about it, but that's just to the contrary. I think it it can provide us with the impetus, the energy to remind ourselves that, you know, we were given this one body to take care of and there's good things that we can do. We can consume healthy whole foods, fruits and vegetables. My grandmother was right, eat your vegetables, it's good for you. We know so much more about what good nutrition is today than we ever have. And I I would really put that all together into this package when it comes to feeling whole. It's not just going to be one thing. It's not going to just be physical activity. It's going to be beneficial physical activity, obviously. But there are all these other things that we know can help improve our longevity that can really make us be more whole and more complete as a human being. So just want to make sure that we each talk to ourselves, we talk with each other, and we understand what our motivations are, and then use that community around us to reinforce those things that we know are going to be healthy and to um, make us more complete. Do the best with what you got. I tell, you know, people all the time, I can't do ball sports. Don't give me a baseball to hit or a tennis ball. It's just not my thing. So go find something that you can do that you enjoy and that, um, that that you can do with others sometimes. Solo sports are great. I think Brett knows all about solo sports, but as a cyclist, you also know what it means to run in a peloton and how good it feels to, to work in a team. So these are all great opportunities for us to figure out who we are, and we're each going to be different. It's not going to be one size fits all. So really appreciate the question, and it's uh, a real pleasure to be with you this morning. Yeah, we've enjoyed having you. Are you telling us no pickleball then? Is that it? Oh, I think pickleball is great. It's okay. just not for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> again, you got to find what uh, uh, what reinforces you to do those things. And I think pickleball is fabulous. And at some point, I'll graduate to pickleball. But right now, I'm still playing tennis and golf. That's great. I know on behalf of our audience, we appreciate everything that both of you are doing with the study, uh, the feedback you're giving us, the insight you're sharing here. It was a tremendous conversation. We appreciate both of you joining us. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks again. And just so you know, we're taking a break Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. We'll be back at it on November 30th. Advent Health has provided whole person care for 115 years. Today, our services, including cancer, cardiac, neurosurgery, orthopedics, and a dedicated women's and children's hospital are rated among the nation's best. Learn more at feelhealthyfeelwhole.com. And be sure to subscribe to Inspiring Wholeness on your favorite podcast platform.
This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for any professional advice or medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The views expressed by our guests are their own. Their participation in this podcast does not imply an endorsement by them or any entity they represent.